0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at AskChrisShelton at gmail.com. I have uh, finally been getting all caught up on all my backlogged emails and questions that you guys have been sending me, getting into the queue and everything. You guys have been sending me some really great questions, by the way, and I hope you'll like this uh, week's episode. We are going to really talk some turkey about the tech of Scientology and and some other things. Uh, But I wanted to get something out of the way real fast. I just wanted to throw something out there and I wanted to I um, usually put this at the end, but I just wanted to sort of have this idea. Um, you know, this channel is being affected by some of the changes in YouTube lately in terms of advertising revenue, and, um, and this is my job. This is what I do, and I love, love doing it. And, um, but I also do other things, too, in order to produce income for myself, and I don't want to you know harp on this or make a big deal about it, but I just want to throw out there that you know, if half of you guys <laughs> uh, were to join my Patreon campaign, because I usually have a few thousand views on on my videos uh, on, a, on a fairly routine basis, and I have about 82 or 83 people who are actively uh, supporting my work through Patreon, and I also get other donations and things through PayPal and stuff too, sort of one-offs, and every one of these things are just so, so appreciated. I really cannot even... Uh, expressed to you how amazed and delighted I am that you guys like what I do enough to support my work. But I just wanted to say that, you know, if I could get that up a bit more, then I really would not have to do anything else in terms of having any other income sources. Even a dollar a month as a Patreon supporter, uh, if a lot of you guys did that, that would actually be a really big boost for me and it would help me out a lot. And, uh, so I just wanted to kind of ask, you know, please do that. And now I'm going to stop talking about that because I I really don't like talking about it actually, but uh, I find it necessary sometimes. So let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Like I said, I think we've got some really interesting ones for this week. A Clockwork Reisten. Speaking of the master, have you ever seen the German film Until Nothing Remains, a fictional story of a couple getting sucked into Scientology? If so, what did you think of it? I hope I got your name right. I'm really not sure how to pronounce that, but I'm just, I found it on YouTube and I'm going to say I was really blown away. I was very, very impressed by that film, Until Nothing Remains. Um, It is absolutely, entirely accurate as to, in fact, it's the most accurate portrayal of how someone And a couple, in this case, first the husband, then the wife, get into Scientology. I mean, it was perfect as to how it showed this guy who was kind of doubtful, a little wary, not really sure about all this, and how he was enticed in, how they treated him, how they acted with him, all the steps they took, um, the wins, and the things that you get from the beginning steps and the way you're talked to about them. It was. It was amazing. I really wish I had seen this earlier. I would have been talking about this um, long ago if I had seen this before. I'd sort of been putting it off because I'd heard about it, but it was in German. and, And I get a lot of recommendations, believe me. I get no shortage of recommendations of books to read and films to see and videos to watch, things to talk about on my channel. And I take up a lot of those suggestions. Some of them have provided some, you know, sparked some really great content for me. But um, but it's, you know, sometimes it takes a while to get to it. But I'm going to say right now, if you guys have not seen this, look it up on YouTube and watch it. If you want to get a really good idea of how somebody gets pulled into Scientology. And this guy, the guy, the main character in the movie, I mean, you really, I just, I really felt for him because he gets in and then his wife gets in. She becomes fervent about it. The rocky relationship they had, the deal with their child, the deal with her parents. I mean, all of these things were very real. They were very well done. The acting was good. This was not some amateur student film. This was a this was a real production. And um, clearly, you know, they had... Uh, former cytologists or people who had done their research really, really well uh, talking, you know, to the producers and the writers of the movie. There was one thing that was totally wrong, uh, that they did get, like, completely wrong, and that was that they had staff members, Class 5 org staff members, doing the RPF. And that's that just doesn't happen. So... That really, you know, that that really didn't need to be in there that way. They could have shown, they showed at one point a staff member from this org, uh, Stuttgart, I guess, who got in trouble with the Sea Org. I mean, they showed a Sea Org mission come into this uh, org and take it over and start running ethics on the public and the staff, and I mean, that was, that was perfect, but... Then they showed one of the staff members getting busted and doing the RPF, and that wasn't that, well. That wasn't really right. They could have shown her getting in a lot of ethics trouble and doing a lot of amends and scrubbing toilets, like they showed having him having to do when he had to do his lower conditions. I mean, I was just again very impressed by this film and um, and the care they took to get so many things right. It really highlighted when they got something wrong. It was like, wow, that was jarringly wrong. The end, a real tragedy, and I unfortunately, all too real. Do not watch this going in thinking you're going to see a happy ending, because unfortunately, that's not what happens in this. I'm not going to spoil the specifics of it. I'm just giving you guys the heads up on it. So um I'm going to be recommending this film uh, definitely more often to people to show how you know, how the the beginning parts, right? And uh, because people ask all the time, how are people so stupid that they get into this? And it shows it. These people are not stupid. They're not brilliantly smart either. They're just regular German citizens, just regular people. I mean, they they could have been in English. It would have been the same thing. So, um, and then the way things go from looking really good and really amazing with Scientology to suddenly... Horrible. Awful. To the point where they're, this couple's breaking up and, the, and child custody, I mean, they nailed it. So, enough said. Go ahead and watch that film. And I'll actually put a link to it in the notes section below. Andy Lesser. Chris, I believe you said you haven't been to a therapist to go over your experiences. I was wondering if maybe you could address in one of your videos whether or not that's still the case, and if so, why not? Okay, um, I have not gone to see a therapist. I don't I, I, I don't. I don't make those faces because I feel guilty about that. But it's. But I have recommended people do it, and it's not necessarily for a lack of desire to go get some counseling or some therapy, um, because I feel I've had experiences and situations occur in my past that kind of could warrant some you know some counseling um, it's, it's really just a financial issue <laughs> and also an availability issue because I'm in Denver and, uh, and I haven't looked deeply into it here but um, I you know I don't have the funds to go pay you know hundreds of dollars a you know a pop to, uh, to pay somebody to, to listen to me and as I've talked about on my channel Uh, I, you know, I don't recommend going to see somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about or what they know, you know, anything about cult backgrounds and and that sort of thing because obviously that would come up in any therapy or counseling I would get. So um, I haven't considered though that it's been something that's really been lacking in my recovery process either. Um, I don't recommend and I don't think that every single person who comes out of Scientology has to go get professional counseling and I've tried to make that clear. You know, I've, uh, I've been criticized as saying all oh, ex Scientologists are crazy, which is total nonsense. I never said any such thing. Um, and I don't, because I don't believe any such thing. I think that people come out of Scientology and every person is unique. And some people have really major issues and some are able to bounce back a little faster. Um, and, I, and I've said uh, in various videos that I've made and in my book, that I think education has been the number one thing that has that has helped me. And also, I have probably taken more advantage of my friends and family than maybe other people might or, are, or as I've come to find, are, are even able to because I happen to have very close ties with my parents um, and with some friends that I have and, and with some um, groups that I've become part of in the secular community. I, I really lucked out in... Com you know, in, in hooking up with a skeptic group in Minnesota first and then here in Denver with a secular hub with people who really get it when you talk about having coming coming out of a religious situation even a cult situation and having to acclimate, having to adjust, having to rethink things, having to relook at life and and belief and and you know afterlife and supernatural beliefs and all of that kind of stuff i've had really I've been very fortunate to have made really good friends and connections. Um, I don't know why, I've just been very fortunate that way. Um, and they've been willing to listen, and I've certainly talked to a couple people's ears off uh, at times. And of course, I have gone way out of my way to write and talk out with everybody, you know, all you people, uh, a lot of, you know, my experiences. And that has been itself a form of catharsis that has been unbelievably helpful. So, you know, maybe I'm educated and informing you, but maybe you're helping me too. Personally, I haven't felt hindered. I haven't, uh, you know, woken up in the middle of the night from nightmares. Well, I have woken up in the night from nightmares, but I haven't woken up in a cold sweat like, oh, what am I going to do? I mean, I haven't gone that Far, and I know that there are people who who have, and I and I always recommend, um, you know, if at all possible, that that uh, that such a situation, you know, a person who's in such a situation, find somebody to talk to, um, you know, write out, or you know, somehow talk out what's going on, what their thoughts and feelings are, and uh, and get professional counseling if they are at all able to. But it's you know, it's it's a challenge for the, I guess you could say the subgroup or demographic that I'm in uh, to find good counseling. It, it, it is a problem. I haven't, I don't want to go to somebody and and, fum, and have them fumble around with what they're doing or what they're going to tell me or recommend to me and, and, uh, and I don't recommend that to anybody else. so um, So I guess all those factors have kind of been overall the reason why I haven't personally you know, made more of an effort to go get professional counseling. I I hope that answers the question. (laughs) Obi Waz, hi Chris, I'm wondering if you committed yourself to being in the Sea Org for a billion years, what were the life changes, the gains and so on, that you had in Scientology that caused you to become so committed to the church? I mean, that is really a huge commitment, and you must have really believed in it all at that time. And what happened to those gains and changes? Were they all fake, unreal? Were you just fooling yourself? I was just doing an interview with a person today um, who was doing some study and in investigation of Scientology and this same thing came up and it prompted me to want to answer this question since it was all sort of fresh in my head. Um, because I, I figured out a way to sort of talk about this or explain it and, um, and it's something that doesn't really get talked about a lot. And that is the environmental influence on a person when they come into Scientology and while they're in Scientology the whole time. I've referred to it as a bubble world or, you know, the insulated world of Scientology or the culture of Scientology. And it's like this in any destructive cult. But there are actions taken on a person when they are first coming into Scientology and and, the, and they develop within the world itself where the way Scientologists talk to one another the way they uh, interact and the way they sort of care for new people and make sure they make it is all around a very, it's an environment of, a, of positive reinforcement uh, over and over again. I, I think this has a lot to do with why these uh, Miscavige holds these uh, events, these, these Nuremberg briefings, you know, where they, they're going to rev everybody up with all these inflated, exaggerated statistics and, and uh, audiovisual presentations and, sh- you know, shiny graphics and things to show how awesome and incredible Scientology is and how much it's doing in the world. It, it not only, when you hear about that stuff, it not only reinforces the idea that Scientology is making an impact on the fourth dynamic, you know, on the world. But it also all of that reinforces the idea that that the expectation that you're supposed to be getting super abilities and gains, and you're supposed to be every day a better person than the day you were bef- than the way you were the day before because of Scientology. And, and this is not a small thing. This isn't like you know. Oh, this we, we you know Scientologists sort of uh, talk about this every now and again. It's constant. And I was I became a staff member quickly, so I was living in this world uh, all the time, right? And then in the Sea Org, oh my God, right? It's it's literally twenty four seven. So when I, okay, so let's get really specific. When I first went into Scientology, I did the communications course, but I didn't just do any communications course. I did the professional TRs course. It's the highest level communications course there is in Scientology. And I was told from the course materials that the end result of the course that I did was the ability to handle any social situation, no matter how rough, With communication alone so if somebody were to confront me on the street or try to mug me or try to you know mad at me or whatever the situation was whatever the situation was I was supposed to deal with it with communication alone and the way I've come to learn the way that we think is we remember the hits and we forget the misses this is why psychics work, right? Because you know, cold readings and this kind of thing. You you go in and you and they, they tell you things and and you remember the things that were right that they guessed at, and you forget all the stuff, you know, the ninety percent of what they told you was totally wrong, but you forget all that because you want to believe. Well, in Scientology, you're very motivated to believe that you're gaining and improving. And so After doing this course and being told that I now had this ability to handle any social situation, no matter how rough, with communication alone, I then filtered every experience that I had in life against this ability that I had. And when I would successfully deal with something with communication, oh, I'm so awesome, and when I wouldn't, just kind of forget about it, sort of sweep that under the rug, you know? Hmm, wow, yeah, that didn't work out so good. You know, because I led a normal teenage life. I had fights with my friends. I had conflicts. I had social situations. Um, even after getting involved in Scientology and being on staff, I had a, a one night with a, a, one of my first girlfriends ever, who <laughs> was a Scientologist, and we were screaming at each other. I mean, We were breaking up. And this was like one in the morning. We were both tired and exhausted, and 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 we really shouldn't have been together in the first place. It wasn't it wasn't a great relationship, and um, and I definitely was not handling that social situation with communication alone. I was losing my shit, and and it didn't particularly even occur to me, of course, while it was happening, that you know that this was a failing of Scientology. It was you know, a failing on my part. You know, it's, it's, another part of the mindset is that if something's not working, then it's on you. It's not on Scientology. Scientology always works. So it's you who's failing, right? And I'm just trying to get across the mindset and the positive reinforcement that occurs in the environment to, to give you the idea that, that I thought, in a sort of black and white way of thinking, that Scientology was absolutely going to work all the time. So every time it didn't work, I always had some reason or justification or excuse for it not working. And every time it seemed to work or did work or, you know, I got some sense of what I thought was a positive result from it, and I and there were times certainly when I did, it was, hey, Scientology works, that's the proof, right? So it was always remember the hits and forget the misses. So after years of this, um, I was you know eight years on staff in Santa Barbara, and I was 25 years old. So uh, I had been leading a pretty insulated life at this point because I'd gone straight from high school to a little you know three weeks of college, getting recruited for staff, and then I was living as a staff member. So I was working 40, 50 hours a week, you know, eking out a living with a with a full time job otherwise. So all I was really doing was working. I really didn't have much of a social life. There was no internet really, you know, up at that time. So I didn't have a, you know, broad uh, amount of information about Scientology. This is 1995 so, uh, that I, that I, when I joined the Sea Org. And I joined the Sea Org because it appeared to me that, that we weren't doing enough for Scientology. And that was why Santa Barbara was a small failing org. I could point to all sorts of times when the staff weren't dedicated enough, weren't working hard enough, uh, when policy wasn't being followed. I mean, you have seven volumes of policy letters from L. Ron Hubbard that's, that cover everything from the communication system to how to water plants to how to clean windows. So if, you know, So I could always say, well, we weren't cleaning the windows right, So we were off policy. And I I wasn't that ridiculous, but I'm just saying there's so many things to do in the policies that it's nearly impossible to actually get all of them done on a routine basis, especially when you have a small group of 10 people, 15 people who are working at the church on a routine basis. So I knew that I was in a situation where we weren't going to make Scientology expand. After working there for seven, eight years, I was like, this isn't happening, but it's on us. It's not on Scientology. And so what I need to do is take more responsibility. I need to do more of this, all right? I need to double down. And, you know, had I had more critical thinking skills at the time and had I had a bit more common sense and maybe a bit more life experience in the real world, I would have you know, maybe questioned a little bit more what was going on. But the environment, the the peer pressure, the, um, the insulatedness of my life, and my, frankly, my optimistic nature, you know, and the fact that I really did believe in this stuff, all led me to the conclusion that what I needed to do was take more responsibility, not less, by joining the Sea Org. And so that's what I did. Even though I didn't really totally want to do it. I didn't want to move to Los Angeles. I liked it in Santa Barbara, and I didn't like it in Los Angeles. And there were things about the Sea Org I was not looking forward to, but I figured it was kind of a point of my duty, my responsibility. You know, I felt that strongly about it, and so that's why I went ahead and did it. And it took, you know, a number of years to beat that out of me <laughs> uh, until I finally started waking up. And that was that was another eight years before it first started dawning on me that something was really, really wrong with this organization. So, in uh, another, you know, uh, 11 years before I finally got out. So I guess I'm a slow learner, actually, uh, when it comes to, when it came to that. But I had all kinds of good reasons to, uh, you know, to, to remember the hits and forget the misses. And that's about the best way I think I can sum it up. But I hope that answers your question. Ozzy boy. A clear is defined by the Church of Scientology as a person who no longer has a reactive mind and is therefore free from the reactive mind's negative effects. A clear is said to be at cause over in control of their mental energy, their thoughts, and able to think clearly even when faced with the very situation that in earlier times caused them difficulty. So my question is, how can you go clear an OT and still be a pedophile? How can you go clear an OT and still be a grumpy, angry person? How can you go clear an OT and still be a suppressive person? How can you go clear an OT and still be an asshole to others? How can you go clear an OT and still be a thief con artist? No clear has yet shown what Hubbard claimed a clear should be. The promises have not been met. That is why Scientology gets a bad name. They promise so high and yet cannot provide said promise. That is why the critics can pull Scientology apart so easily. If going up the bridge makes you a better you, then it would be impossible to be clear or OT and still be a fucked up person. You cannot be what you were in the past, you can only be better, more able, and capable. But just look at the church. A short fucking SP who is OT5 and nobody noticed his evil intentions? No e-meter showed his SP-ness. No auditor saw him coming. Nobody, not even Ron, who had him as a messenger. Something doesn't add up. Something is missing in the whole story of the Scientology bridge. How is this church still surviving with such obvious failures? I've asked this question many, many times and cannot get an answer as to how it is possible, with all the tech in Scientology, that an SP can be right under their noses and nobody notices. Can you give us your view on this? Yeah, let's, let's talk turkey here because this is a really good question and it deserves a really solid answer. And L. Ron Hubbard and I know the couple people who just continue to troll my channel about how wrong I get Scientology. Well, let's talk about Scientology itself and not the church of Scientology. If the technology of Scientology actually worked and the e-meter actually worked then you would be able to detect these things with all the questions and all the things that get done within the world of Scientology. Uh, You would not be able to make it all the way to clear and OT if you were a suppressive person. And having made it to being clear and OT, you should be a radically different, significantly better and more able person. And it's simply not the case a hundred percent of the time. We don't have to just point to the exceptions like Rex Tiller, you know, I think it was Rex Fowler who committed suicide, who was an OT eight, or the numerous numbers of OTs who have gotten cancer and died. In other words, there's no shortage of case examples or studies that we can do to show that people can do Scientology and not be better people, and in fact even be worse people. And, and this exists even within the existing world of Scientology. I mean, look at Grant Cardone. The guy's a total asshat. And if that's an example of what a you know, OT Scientologist is, keep me away from it because that guy is a, just obviously not somebody you would want to emulate or be, be you know, follow in the footsteps of. All these contradictions exist because the technology doesn't do what it promises it will do. And you're absolutely right. That's what enables people like me to take it apart. And as I've said, I'm going to do a whole series taking apart all the little individual bits and pieces to show pros and cons of all the various parts and the fundamentals of it. But really what it comes down to is that Scientology is a faith-based belief system that requires, as I said in my last answer, it requires a constant ego-boosting pump to keep you going and believing that you're getting better when, in fact, you're really not changing that much about yourself or about your life. Um, Now, there are people who have gotten off drugs. There are people who have made changes, who have... um, you know, been engaged in unethical activity, get their shit together, and now they're no longer engaged in unethical activity. And they credit Scientology for that. There are just as many people, actually thousands more, who credit the same thing to AA, to to other uh, drug rehab programs, to other social programs they've become a part of, to social clubs and activities they've become part of to reading other books. I mean, Joel Osteen and his advice, right? I found God. Uh, You know, there are so many sources of people getting, bootstrapping themselves into a better life, right? That That you can look at all those, you can look at all of humanity and all the various changes and things that people do to make their lives better and the things they attribute it to and you can go, you know, I think there's something to be said here about people's ability to simply get their shit together and lead a better life and make decisions that change things for the for the better, right? And if they want to credit Scientology with that, or if they want to credit AA with that, or they want to credit the Boys Club with that, fine, okay, great. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that that influence wasn't a positive influence, but... To make an absolute claim about clear and OT is a whole different thing than having a few examples of people who have had some success and attribute it to, some, to a source like Scientology. When you have the, the sheer number of bad examples of it not working, you can't just brush all that off and say, well, those people were you know going to victim blaming or go into, well, it was always their fault. You know, Scientology is flawless and always works, except when it doesn't, and then when it doesn't, it's because it's their fault, right? That doesn't, that, that's not logical, man. That doesn't work. There are scientific, provable, evidence-based things that don't have exceptions. They work because they work, and Scientology isn't one of those things. It just isn't, right? There's far, far, far too many exceptions to, the, to those rules. And um, so that's how people can be an SP. That's how somebody like David Miscavige can come into power. And this group of people just like bow down and adore and worship the guy for really for no good reason. Because when you examine his products, the things he's actually done, where he's taken Scientology, if you take out the square footage as a metric of his success, he hasn't done anything positive for Scientology at all. And this is, I mean, yeah, that's my opinion, but it certainly is a well-founded opinion. So, you know, that's basically the bottom line. There are various uh, things that Hubbard talked about, like there's a concept of a cleared cannibal, and I might as well bring this up just to kind of it, is uh, Hubbard talked about the fact that you could be a cannibal and then somebody could come along and clear you so you no longer have a reactive mind, but you'd still be a cannibal. You'd still be eating people. And Hubbard talked about the fact that you need education in Scientology as well as the auditing in order to become a really good, you know, responsible, wonderful person. Um, But again, that doesn't really pan out when you look at the fact that David Miscavige is trained, lots of executives in Scientology, uh, got auditor training and education in Scientology, and they weren't necessarily better people for it. You know, they were still doing all, up to all kinds of shenanigans. So, um, and again, you know, people who have left Scientology or uh, gotten to the highest levels of Scientology, not just on the auditing side, but on the training side, Um had just as much cancer, just as much bankruptcy, just as much child abuse, all the, all the litany of, of things that were still wrong with them. So um, so that's really the bottom line, is there, is there is no excuse or rationale or justification for it. The bottom line is Scientology doesn't work, and that's really the simplicity of it. Sir Peabody, I'm a paramedic in Australia. The other day, I was responding to a major vehicle crash in which people were seriously injured. During the drive out to the incident, all I could think of is, we need Tom Cruise. He's the only one that can truly help. Is that what other Scientologists really believe? I have treated thousands of patients over the last 20 years and never used Scientology tech or policies or had a Scientologist magically make someone better from injuries. How do they have this belief in themselves without any proven results? All right, so in line with the last two questions that I've answered here, I put this one in because I wanted to address one other aspect of uh, what goes on in, in, in the, the world of Scientology and, and how Scientologists approach uh, their belief in, in the, the tech of Scientology, or the workability of Scientology. And that is that they don't operate on evidence-based reality. That is not the standard for which Scientologists... Judge whether Scientology works or not. It doesn't. To to them, it's not a matter of proving that it works, or it's not a matter of having evidence that it works. It's really just it's a subjective experience. Do they feel better? Do other people? The standard of evidence is: Do you do Scientology on someone, and they say, "I feel better now," or "Wow, that really helped me. Thank you." That's it. That's all the proof they need. That's Scientology now works 100% of the time because this person said it worked on them. Right? I experienced a win in Scientology auditing. So therefore Scientology auditing absolutely works. And they don't think the thought through of what I explained before about how you could assign that gain or that you know that that happy moment you had To any of hundreds of things, you could you could assign it to eating chocolate, and it would have just as much verifiability and just as much accuracy in terms of evidence-based thinking. In other words, it's um, wholly—it's just the person's experience, right? It's it's anecdotal. That's the word I was just looking for. It's not. There, there's a study done. It's not that there are double-blind studies done. It's not that there's surveys done. It's that That's not what convinces Scientologists. And, and, you know, maybe this is one of the things that makes a Scientologist or makes... And this is not just unique to Scientology. I really need to stress that. All destructive cults have this kind of mentality. And maybe this point of is, is an important one, that, that the way... A person in a group like this thinks is that anecdotal evidence is the same for them as verified scientific peer-reviewed evidence. To them, it's, it's, it's apples and apples. It's the same, right? Uh, if somebody says, bop, 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 that's it. That's all the proof I need. That's it. It's done. It's a done deal. It's absolutely true, right? And, um, you know, when you get a more skeptical, critical thinking point of view, you start going, yeah, no, just because you said that doesn't mean it's necessarily true, right? There could be any number of reasons why you feel better right now. There could be any number of reasons why you, whatever, right? And let's take a closer look at this and let's do, you know, a bit more research on it. Oh, no, I don't need any of that. This stuff is it. This is what works and I don't need any other talking to about it. And there you go, right? And that's kind of the, the mindset there. So when Scientologists, getting back to your question specifically now, when Scientologists, you know, like Tom Cruise, say, we're the only ones who can do anything about it, right? That's the view that from which they're coming from is, well, I had a touch assist and it worked on me. And I gave a touch assist to Joe and it worked on him because he said he feels better now. So therefore, it works 100% of the time, and we're the only ones who do touch assists, and look, touch assists, according to L. Ron Hubbard, are the only way to get rid of this pain, and therefore we're the only ones who know, because look, when you go to an accident site, all these people are in pain. You can see they're in pain, and paramedics aren't doing anything about it, so therefore they don't know anything. I mean, this is the, this is the train of logic that goes on in their head. It's, it's this ridiculous, but this is how they think. This is how I used to think. So, um, you know, so if you ever wonder why critical thinking is such a big deal to me, this is why. And that is how it is. The flash has come again, and it is time for flash answers. Kristen Halloran, listening to you and Aaron have a discussion is fascinating from Sensibly Speaking podcast number 86. Definitely enjoyed the back and forth and exchanging of information. Had to pull out a pen and take notes. You discussed the fish to fry metaphor, but I wonder if you realize that not many people say pull in its flippers. First time I've ever heard it. Is it Scientology's or Sheltonese? Also, you referenced these things, and I was hoping you might clarify them. Bean theory, step of affluence formula, and a blue spark meeting? Just when I think I understand the lingo you pull the rug out from under me thanks for all you do. Yeah I think pulling in your flippers is just a standard English thing. I learned that in high school just you know pulling in my flippers you know like a turtle. Um, As far as those other terms I'm gonna try to do this really quickly. Bean theory has to do with a policy letter L. Ron Hubbard wrote about uh, finance and beans, commodity, uh, you know sort of like the idea that, that money is like beans and you have so many beans to invest. in in something, right? So you, and the idea being that uh, you invest beans and you plant beans and they grow, right? You're going to create more with that thing because you're investing, you know, in it. So um, so you're supposed to get back more than what you've invested in it. There's supposed to be return on investment. That's the bean theory of finance from Hubbard, as I recall it. Um, The step of the affluence formula has to do with Scientology ethics conditions, which you can uh, Google or take a look at. The affluence formula is a series of steps that one takes when things are going really, really great and there's an abundance of things, like if you were to win the lottery or if you were to get a sudden inflow of money or, or time or whatever, you know, an abundance of something and you're doing really good, you're considered to be in a condition of affluence and the steps of the, you know, that you would follow are supposed to keep the affluence going. <laughs> they, they never do, but that's what they're supposed to do in Scientology. And um, a blue spark meeting, I, that was just something I heard one day in Scientology. I wasn't really ever, I don't know that that was something I ever heard Hubbard say. It was something that I heard in in the, the, the world of Scientology, and it was a bright idea sort of thing. It's kind of like you and me and other people get in a room and we're sparking off of one another. Blue sparks are flying around. Maybe that's a Scientology thing, because it certainly could have come from one of Hubbard's lectures, but I just, I heard it from other Scientologists, not from Hubbard. E. David Hershey, I live on the East Coast. If I visit an ideal morgue on the West Coast while on vacation, will they try to hard sell me on courses and sauna sessions that I will never take, or are they quote unquote smart enough to just sell me a stack of books and show me the door? Within my experience as a staff member and Sea Org member, when people came from other, from out of town into a local org, usually they was just, hey, great, wow, yeah, take a look around, enjoy the org. Um, you know, where you at on your courses? You doing good? Okay, great. You know, and there's just sort of social chit-chat. But it wasn't, there wasn't maybe an effort to sell a book or something, but no, they, they would not try to sell the person services that they weren't going to do. That, that would have just been kind of ridiculous, and, and they're not that ridiculous. <laughs> Ryan Meeker. Assuming you've been a big sci-fi fan for a while, is Scientology open to things like the ideas in Star Wars? Does the church look down on things like the Force or whatever, like how some Christian fundamentalists called Harry Potter satanic just for including witchcraft? Yeah, I still kind of like Star Wars and, uh... I always have, and Scientologists just eat that stuff up. They love Star Wars, they love science fiction, and they just, they just love it. Because they consider that it's a reflection of reality. I mean, there was nothing better than to have Star Wars begin with the phrase, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh my God, Scientologists just ate that up because it wasn't the future, it was the past. And you know what Scientologists think about the past and whole track, you know, civilizations, millions and billions and trillions of years ago. So as far as they were concerned, Star Wars was a documentary. (laughs) And yes, they do believe in the force and the idea of telekinesis and and mind control and, um, or not mind control, but, you know, mind, using your mind to get things, uh, telekinesis, telepathy, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're totally into that stuff. Because uh, and, they, and they totally believe it because it's all part of the OT phenomena. Okay, everybody, so that is it for this week. I hope that these answers were interesting, educational, and informative. As usual, please give me any comments, uh, feedback, questions you have in the comments section below. I really enjoyed doing this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed watching it, and I will see you guys again next time. Bye-bye.